Welcome to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 32 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast. Thanks for joining us. This week we're talking with Philip Swan, the mind behind tvpredictions.com. It's a killer site for TV news, streaming updates, and a heck of a lot more. But before that chat, I wanted to share a shocking story that continues to be downplayed by the press. There's an article this week about Lindsay Lohan. She's back in the news. Kind of a gossip item, but this one had a little bit more bite than usual. Turns out that she recently lent her support to President Donald Trump. Now, if you're looking to generate some headlines, that's a pretty good way to do it. So let's just put aside the fact that she could be disingenuous. She could be looking for more attention. Maybe she just thinks that President Trump deserves a defender from the Hollywood class. Who knows? But kind of a man bites dog story there, right? How many times do celebrities really actively boost the president? But there's more than that. The article goes on and says, hey, Maybe by doing this, Lindsay Lohan has put the final nail in her career coffin. After all, how many times do conservatives complain about getting ostracized for just being right of center in Hollywood? Their job options are limited. So someone like Lindsay Lohan comes along, defends President Trump, and all of a sudden her tiny, minuscule career is kaput based on that simple declaration. Now, full stop time. Again and again, we read these stories. There was a one or two, at least from this year alone, where they determine how Hollywood treats conservatives differently, how people right of center struggle to get jobs, how they hide their points of view, how they're afraid to speak out in public for fear that they may not get gigs in Hollywood. Again, Hollywood is a very tough industry. Gigs are scarce. There's lots of competition. And anything that hurts your cause is really problematic in a significant way. So if someone's saying, I can't say that I'm conservative, I might lose gigs, is a serious issue. Now, it also comes to mind the old blacklist. Remember that? Hollywood loves to wring its hands over that period in our history. Well, why? Because it showed our culture wasn't willing to let hard leftists and communists share their ideas out in public. They were punished for it, or blacklisted, to be more accurate. Yet what about this new improved blacklist? Well, that seems to be okay. Have you heard George Clooney talk about it? Meryl Streep, any celebrity, they don't seem too concerned that some of their fellow stars, some of their fellow crew members aren't getting gigs or could be losing gigs just because they lean to the right. They're not concerned. Have you heard any big media outrages about this? Any sort of think pieces about how wrong this is? Well, once in a blue moon, there's a piece or two, couple, couple a year, maybe at best, and then it goes away. No outrage there. Hmm. It's kind of weird. You know, it just doesn't make sense, but, you know, it fits in with the pattern of what I've seen and what I've tracked for years with the media. Their liberal bias blinds them to stories that are sometimes important and sometimes extremely important, especially to the people whose lives are affected by lacking work or losing jobs just because of their ideology. It's wrong, flat, plain, and simple. It's also another example of how the media fails us on a regular basis. You're listening to my daddy's podcast. He still won't eat his veggies. Uh, thanks, Eli. This week's hit tip of the week is suntan. 
The Greek import is a kind of a new spin on the old Lolita concept. A middle-aged man moves to a beautiful island where he gets work as the town doctor. This is tourist season. Lots of people coming and going, but you know what? His life looks kind of sad. His apartment is depressing. He doesn't have any friends. He just kind of goes in, goes out, sees patients, and that's basically it. Until a young woman named Anna comes along. She's got a bit of an injury. He patches her up and... She kind of takes a shine to him, and so do her friends. They're all young, they're all attractive, they're all hard-partying types, and they want this doctor to come along and maybe hang out with them. Now, is he kind of their unofficial mascot? Are they genuinely interested in what he has to say, or are they just kind of goofy people kind of extending their little circle of friends to include one more person? Well, it's hard to say, but of course the doctor in question falls hard for Anna, and you can't blame him. She's beautiful, she's full of life, but... I'm going to stop the description there because I don't want to share any more about the story. Suffice to say, it's loaded with really dark twists and turns, and the ending is downright chilling. You'll have a hard time forgetting that character, his story, and that final shot. I know that's pretty rare these days where a movie will stick with you, but this one really stuck with me. Best of all, it just got added to the Netflix lineup. I highly recommend it. It's called Suntan. Check it out. You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast. The right take on entertainment. Now let's get to this week's interview. Philip Swan became fascinated with TV at a very, very early age. Today, he's one of the most consistent experts in all things TV, thanks to his site, tvpredictions.com. He's also the author of tv.com. He routinely cuts through the narrative nonsense seen elsewhere in the media, offering hard-nosed but smart commentary on TV trends. He doesn't follow the pack, he blazes his own trail, and more often than not, he's right as rain. Here's my chat with Philip Swan. Well, welcome to the show. Um, first of all, you know, I'm always kind of curious how people get to the positions they're in. So from your perspective, how did you become a TV analyst? It's sort of a, it's not exactly something you go to college for and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to study TV and kind of analyze trends. How did you end up here? It started when I was four years old. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Okay. When I was four years old, I had a fascination with television, but not just with watching television, but with what television could do, but we didn't know it could do it. And by example, uh, where we lived, I, I'm pretty old, so where we lived, we had just three channels on our TV. But I discovered at the age of four, I'm not kidding, that if I took pliers and move the channel dial between the three and the four, I could pick up a station about 150 miles away in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Fuzzy, <laughs> snowy as it was, I could see it, and suddenly I had four channels. My television horizon had been expanded. And it is that kind of thinking, that analytical thinking and approach to television, that somehow I was <laughs> tested for this. It's still serving you well. It is. And um, I had a sidetrack at a college. I covered politics, which could be a whole different podcast itself. But um, I did cover politics for about 10 years before getting into the television business and television journalism. And uh, I worked at Sony for a while and wrote books and you name it. So, I, yeah, I've done it all related to television. But it's, it, it really does start. I've always had this fascination with television and technology gotcha. as a little kid. Did, did you have formal sort of journalism training or did you, did you kind of sort of learn as you yes. went along the way? Yeah, I went to the University of Maryland, graduated with a journalism degree and uh, worked in college newspaper there and 
um, hopped out of there after graduation and worked for local newspapers in the Washington, D.C. area, including the Washington Late and uh, Washington Star. And, um, yeah, so, yeah. Gotcha. Usual. Now, you know, I, I studied art, and took, I think I took one journalism class in my life, and I kind of learned as I went along. But from your perspective, you had the more formal training, you're in the business. What have you learned along the way? I mean, this may sound like an obvious question, but I, you, when I read your stuff, it's not the typical coverage. It, it, it has a different perspective. It has a different edge. It has a different um, way of thinking. And I kind of just, what did you kind of, when, when you were a younger person in the, in the field, were there kind of things you kind of picked up along the way that really kind of maybe were kind of your guidelines or your, your, the things that really kind of made you who you are? Yeah, I, I think pretty early on, I developed a pretty good BS detector, and I also resisted the urge within our profession to hype things, to be easily influenced by trends, uh, easily influenced by whatever is happening that day, and that included my political coverage at one point, uh, and I brought that over to my technology and television coverage. Um, generally speaking, our profession has a tendency to uh, really lurch left, right, center, middle, whatever, uh, depending upon the event that's before us. And we overhype stuff, and we make everything sound like it's the next big thing. And when in reality, most new things fail, most new things take a long time before they reach the masses. Uh, and so I, I always feel I am that, I hope, voice of reason who is trying to tell people, okay, that's a pretty cool thing that, that just got developed by company A, but let's see it actually work. And let's see it work in front of a large group of people before we declare it the next big thing. And that's pretty much my perspective on, on all this stuff. Yeah, and that's one of the things I've noticed about you, particularly with the cord-cutting phenomena, yep. because that's where you kind of really differentiate yourself from the pack. Let's talk a little bit about cord-cutting. I've been following your coverage of it for a while. Is it changing? Is is there genuine momentum now, or we're still in that sort of, it's great, but it's a small part of the big picture, and the cable companies and direct TV types still kind of rule the landscape? They do. It is still a relatively small part of television industry. Uh, it has grown a bit. Uh, it is still not even like 10% of, of the audience. Uh, and a good portion of the people who consider themselves cord cutters are still actually paying the big pay TV companies and in, in uh, DirecTV now owned by AT&T, um, Sling TV owned by Dish, and you could even argue PlayStation View is owned by Sony. It's uh, how rebellious are you when you're cutting the cord and then giving your money to Sony instead? <laughs> so basically, the the, the monoliths run television for decades, continue to run it, continue to go on it. That hasn't really changed. And so it's kind of silly to sit there and go, these these new live streaming services such as DirecTV Now and Sling TV are uh, somehow the resistance and uh, cord cutters when actually they're just in a different way that pay TV companies are providing their product. Mm. Gotcha. Do you think... Um is is are these cord cutting? Is it having any impact? I mean, if you you know if you call your cable company, will they maybe be a little bit yeah. more reasonable with sort of lowering prices? Is there any sort of impact that's happening because of that, though? 
Yes, cord cutting or the uh, certainly the concept of cord cutting, if not the actual numbers of people cord cutting, has had a tremendous effect on the industry. It has forced pay TV operators uh, to think more about what consumers truly want, uh, to be more consumer friendly, to skinny bundles, uh, to negotiate. If you get on the phone with them, they will uh, charters, CEO uh, Tom Rutledge has talked about, I had no him about how time or cable was like a Turkish bazaar. He would call them up and they would say, what do you want? What package do you want? How much do you want to pay? We'll make a deal. Um, he obviously is not happy about that. And he's trying to, to change that as charter takes over the Time Warner cable market. Mm-hmm. But most TV operators are still making deals. They're, they're, they want to keep you on board or they want to get you on board, and they realize you have other options now, and so they're willing to work with you. And it's, so in that respect, it's had a huge impact. Gotcha. I, I think you or I are in the same ballpark age-wise. And I, you know, I know when I was growing up, TV never, almost never measured up to movies. It was always, you know, the TV stars would leave TV as soon as they got some fame. Look, I always point to Bruce Willis as an example. Now we are undoubtedly in sort of a peak TV moment where there's great content. It's all over the map. From your perspective, as sort of, as someone who's been covering it for a while, what are some of the key factors that led to this state? I mean, is it simply competition? Is it other things? What's why are we enjoying such great TV on so many outlets now that that wasn't really the way it was maybe ten years ago? I'm going to take a little credit for that. I'm credit for half making it happen. Credit for predicting. Uh, as I started to see all of these new companies develop, such as Netflix and uh, Amazon Prime and, and everybody else, Hulu, um, about four years ago, there was going to be just a content explosion and that it was going to be the greatest thing of all time for producers, writers, directors, and actors. And that is because there is so much competition now for content, original content. Everybody wants to distinguish themselves from their competition. And as a result, they're throwing money at content, and they are coming up with a lot of great content because of it as well. But that's why you're seeing TV. There are so many people or so many companies out there bidding for this and encouraging uh, writers and directors to do things. Who would ever think Woody Allen would be working uh, for Amazon? (laughs) Uh, Scorsese is going to debut a movie on Netflix starring Robert De Niro. Who, unimaginable, even a year ago. So that's that's the world we have now. And um, I saw this about four or five years ago and I thought this is going to be incredible because there's just going to be so much content produced and it, so much money is going to be spent on it. Uh, it's going to create some really interesting stuff, and we are really seeing it. And uh, how much longer we're going to see that, uh, mm-hmm. that's another question, but we certainly are seeing it now. Uh, you know, one of the things that I cover is sort of media bias, and, you know, I, it, I look at it in the news, and I look at it in the entertainment press. From your perspective, the public doesn't trust the media like it once did, like it should, frankly. Do you, I mean, you talk about how reporters kind of jump on the hype rather than having a more of a, a sober point of view. I mean, is is that part of the problem that even entertainment reporters sort of aren't doing their due diligence where maybe 10 years ago they were? I mean, I'm kind of curious from that perspective. I mean, do you think that people don't trust the entertainment press like they don't trust the news media, or is it a separate situation? No, I, I don't think 
people trust any media right now, including sports media, entertainment, business, political. Um, I think we all have seen the hype. And I really do think it's hype. I don't think in all cases people are trying to mislead or manipulate. There are cases of that, but not always. Uh, in most cases, I really think it's more about this kind of excitable hyping of coverage. Uh, that journalists just can't help themselves. That they just want to make that story seem so important, they make it ten times more important than it really should be. Mm-hmm. And I think the readers have seen this over and over and over again. And as a result, they don't trust it, even when the story, whether, again, entertainment, political, sports, whatever, even when the story is legit and valid and it's not being hyped, people tend to think it is being hyped because they've just been cried wolf at too many times. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, You cover the industry in such an interesting way. From your perspective, do you see any trends that are emerging, either, you know, we're mid-2017 now, that aren't getting enough coverage. I mean, you know, you talked about sort of a De Niro and a Scorsese teaming up to make a Netflix movie, which seems unheard of a year ago. What else is going on that maybe is sort of bubbling under the surface that you're kind of getting a sense about? The sports bubble. It is starting to get some attention now because the ESPN is having issues. Um, but the sports bubble bursting, bursting slowly, as most bubbles do. I mean, it's, it's rare for any. Uh, in business to suddenly just have that one day everything changes. It, uh-huh. it changes over time, like most things. But the sports bubble is going to have a huge impact on the sports world over the next three to five years. And the reason is that for years and years and years, sports networks would pay the leagues anything they wanted for the rights to their games. And they were able to do that because they would then turn around to the pay TV operators and say, hey, if you want to cover, if you want to carry ESPN and our baseball games and football games and basketball games, you are going to pay us what we say. And the pay TV operators were scared out of their minds to say no because they thought it would be the loss of subscribers. Well, about maybe about three years ago, the pay TV operators started saying no. They couldn't afford it anymore. Mm-hmm. And as a result, they suddenly said, well, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to start you know, creating some of these slim bundles, and maybe we won't have ESPN in there and that sort of thing. And so as a result, they, ESPN's revenue started to shrink, and so did all the other sports networks. And it's been a slow process, no doubt, but it is happening. And so the sports networks that have been paying the leagues all this money all over the years – suddenly don't have the money to pay anymore. And it's going to lead to this huge, huge impact on the leagues because suddenly they're not going to be getting the money from the networks that they used to, and that money has been going to things like exorbitant free agent contracts. Mm-hmm. Well, when the teams and the leagues don't have the money to pay those exorbitant free agent contracts, suddenly that player who thought he was getting a $300 million deal may not get that $300 million deal. So this is what we're about to face in in the sports world and TV world in the next three to five years. You're going to see free agents not getting as much money as they used to. You're going to see teams not signing free agents as often as they used to. They're going to put more investment in in player development because they know they're not going to be able to afford the big free agents. 
And you're going to see the sports networks suddenly go, well, may, like ESPN, suddenly go, well, maybe we don't need to carry baseball. We'll just do mm-hmm. football and basketball. And they are contemplating that right now. Yeah. This is a huge thing that's happening, and it is, it is in progress. And it's going to start to really feel a major impact on the sports world very, very soon. Is, you know, a lot of the changes that we're talking about benefit the consumer, you know, sort of a quasi a la carte special, uh, the cord cutting gives us more options. The sports thing you're talking about, this sort of trend, is that going to help the consumer or hurt or is it going to just maybe sort of a different situation? In some ways it'll help, some ways it'll hurt. I think it kind of is your definition of what you're looking for and whether it's helpful or hurtful. Uh, If you're a sports fan... Uh, maybe if you know your team doesn't have as much revenue and all teams don't have as much revenue, maybe there won't be so much crazy spending on free agents. Maybe mm-hmm. your favorite player stays with your team longer than normal. That's a good thing. Yep. Um, in the case of, let's say, a Sportsnet LA out in Los Angeles, and you know they're begging for money from DirecTV and others to carry them, and DirecTV is saying no, that's a bad thing. Obviously, because uh, you know you the Los Angeles players in LA unless you have subscribed to Charter because all the other providers out there don't carry it because mm-hmm. Charter's asking for too much money to carry it because uh, Time Warner Cable, which Charter took over, agreed to pay the Dodgers 8.35 billion dollars over 25 years. It was lunacy, crazy. Uh, so that's a bad thing for consumers that that happened, and now the impact of the sports bubble starting to burst is really bad for consumers. So yeah. kind of ends. It's going to be some pros and cons to it. Gotcha. I wanted to shift gears briefly towards technology. You know, a few years ago we had 3D TV. That fizzled, and I, I didn't need your brain to kind of predict that. And then I keep seeing these curved TVs in my local Best Buy, and I don't think they're doing well either. Uh, I just kind of maybe what's going on today tech-wise with TVs, you know, I've got a 4K TV, and there's no content I could check out. What's wh- Where do we stand in 2017 as far as the technology behind the TVs that we, we had to have in our homes? Yeah, 3D was a, a huge bomb. Um, the TVs were a bunch of arrogant bastards, and I called them that at the time, but for thinking that they somehow could convince consumers to actually get you know start watching 3D at home. It was ridiculous. Um Curved TVs, there's another one, Samsung's really behind it. It makes no sense. It doesn't improve the picture. It's confusing to people who are sitting in the corner. It's, again, a really dumb idea, and it's another example of how the industry can do something because they have to not because consumers want it. Now, let's move on to 4K. 4K, I have problems with 4K, and I'm about to write sometime in the next few weeks a, a very long article about all my problems with 4K. My biggest problem with 4K to start with, it is only incrementally better than HD. It's not like the way HD was over standard definition, where it was just eye-poppingly good. I mean, you, the first, first, first time you ever saw HD, you just couldn't believe how much better it was. When you see 4K, you might sit there, and, and whoever's showing it to you, you might look at them and go, oh, is this one in 4K now? <laughs> Because you don't really necessarily see that huge difference. If you watch it for a while in the right setting and is tuned just the right way and the content is either being streamed or it's on a disc or whatever it is in just the right way, you will see a slightly clearer, more detailed picture. 
if all those things are there, right? All those conditions. Um, so 4K really being hyped. It's being oversold, no doubt about it. It's not providing the value that people say it is. Um, certainly not worth if if you're going to go out and buy a new television and you can get an HD television and you're happy with what you watch in HD. Yeah. And then buying a 4K that's $500 more, $300 more, whatever it might be, because yeah. uh, you're not going to get the value. Um, the 4K industry really needs to do something to uh, improve the standards and the technology uh, behind making 4K. It's not there yet. It's not even close. Yeah, and there's no content. I mean, there's very, very few. I mean, Netflix has a few shows. I think Amazon does, but generally speaking... It's, you know, you can't even take advantage of it, so. Yeah, and even when you do, even when it's there, it, it might not look good. Um, I wrote an article on their 4K. A lot of were, particularly when they're in HD, HDR, were like so dark. I mean, it looked like you were watching it in the darkest bar at 3 in the morning. <laughs> and it was just terrible. Um, they just, they hadn't done it right. Uh, and I, I talked Amazon because they couldn't provide an explanation for why. Yeah. Uh, message, go ahead. Uh, I was thinking, you know, you talked about sort of the, the media and, and sort of jumping on the hype bandwagon. From your perspective, obviously, I want to I want to steer people to you and your site, TVPredictions.com. But what other are there any other journalists out there in your niche in your field who you think are doing a good job or even? media outlets that are that are pretty rock solid you could recommend um uh, no <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding there are a lot of good people um okay. i like multi-channel news i think they do a really good job of kind of what I used to be called covering the waterfront you know meaning covering all aspects of the industry they do a really mm. good job of that um i think um there are some writers that i think uh, a little bit better than others. I think Recode does a good job. Uh, what's his name? Peter Kafka does a very good job. He doesn't get too out of control on some of these things. He keeps uh, kind of a common sense approach. That uh, does a very good job. David Kassmeyer is excellent. Mm-hmm. He's not only has a very sound, uh, sober approach to the technology, uh, he's also an extremely good reviewer. And when he submits a review on a new product, you can go to the bank on it. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Excellent. We'll have all this information in the show notes page at hollywoodintoto.com uh, backslash Philip hyphen Swan. So people can check out those names. I'll have links to all their work and, of course, York as well. And, of course, before we let you go, we ask all our guests at the HitCast, what are you watching these days? What are you reading? What's uh, on your MP3 player or in your car? Uh, any sort of tips, sort of content tips you can share? I, um, I have a six-year-old daughter who dominates my time, and when I have her asleep, I get to watch some peak TV, and um, Fargo and Billions are two of the best damn shows I've seen on television ever. They are excellent. Just uh, finished Fargo last season, season three finale, which uh, was last week, and it was awesome. Uh, love, all three seasons were great. The first two seasons of Billions were great. So I, I mostly am watching the peak TV we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Never have time to go to the movies. I used to go to the movies twice a week, and that was pre-daughter. 
You're not missing but, much this summertime, so don't worry. I go to the movies now. It's to see Minions or Despicable Three or whatever. <laughs> it's not to see the movies I might want to see. I have to wait for them to show up. Um, on. Gotcha. Well, Phil, thank you so much for coming on the show. Of course, you can check out his great tips and insights at tvpredictions.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at Swanee on TV, S-W-A-N-N-I-O-N-T-V. Thank you so much. We will check in with you down the road and appreciate your time. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switched to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.